Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Here we are in Los Angeles. It's getting cold. I had a typical Los Angeles experience today. I went downtown for the weekly Black Lives Matter and Police Association demonstration outside of the Police Association building, the LAPPL, demanding that the Police Association be kicked out of the LA Federation of Labor. But instead of joining my voice to those who are saying that and hearing stories from people from families of victims of LA police violence, I drove around for about 45 minutes looking for a parking spot. And since there was some kind of a movie shoot down there, all the parking spots were taken and I just ended up driving home. So it was a bit frustrating and very typically LA. Glad to be here though, taking refuge in the Ohala Shel Torah in the Tent of Torah. Last week was the third anniversary of the worst anti-Semitic event in the history of the country in Pittsburgh, the shooting of 10 people and 10 Jews while in the midst of prayer in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. And the 62nd anniversary of the massacre at Kfar Qasim, which finally the President of Israel, Ruby Rivlin, this week recognized officially from the State of Israel and apologized for. So that's what we're holding today. And uh, with that, we're just going to jump in. And now, a special announcement. Dafshui is a low overhead operation, which happens because we love to do it. However, there are some ongoing costs for the recording and podcast hosting and the like, in addition to my time and Ellie's time and talent. So we are trying to something new. Dafshui now has a Patreon account. If you feel so moved, you can put a few bucks in the hat. Remember, we are not one of those corporate Dafshui outfits. We are just a mom and pop shop from the heartland of Los Angeles. Thank you so much. So before we start today, and we're starting today on 78A, on the top of 78A, or the, actually the bottom of 77B. But before we start today, we have to make a bit of a detour to talk about the laws of ona'a or defrauding, though a specific type of defrauding. The laws are based on verses in Leviticus 25, and we're going to be using Robert Alter's translation. So verse 14, And when you sell property to your fellow or buy from the hand of your fellow, you shall not defraud one another. Al tonu ish et achiv. Tonu, that's ona'a. That's the word that's going to be um, in play. Verse 15, By the number of years after the jubilee shall you buy from your fellow, and by the number of years of yield he shall sell to you. The larger number of years, the more you shall pay for its purchase, and the smaller number of years, the less you shall pay for its purchase, since he is selling you the number of yields. And you shall not defraud each other. Lo tonu, ishatamito, there it is again. And you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. As it becomes obvious from these verses, the legal context here is the jubilee year, or the 50th year in which all land returns to its original owner. The Torah is warning sellers and also buyers not to use the fact of the return in the 50th year as a means to defraud, that is, selling supposedly cheap with the knowledge that you will get the land back anyway in a couple of years. In rabbinic texts, beginning with the Mishnah, the law of defrauding or ona'ah takes a turn, and it is not at all restricted to land in the 50th year. In fact, it does not apply to land at all. Mishnah above Metzia chapter 4 writes, in Herbert Danby's slightly altered translation, an overcharge of four pieces of silver out of the 24 pieces of silver that make up a sella or one-sixth of the purchase price, counts as defrauding. 
The law against defrauding applies to buyer and seller alike. As a private person, that is an ordinary purchaser, has the right to retract because of defrauding, so has the merchant the right. Rabbi Judah says, the merchant does not have the right. He that has been imposed upon has the upper hand. If he wished, he could say, give me back all my money, or give me back that which you have defrauded me. And then we skip a couple of Mishnayot, and we continue. To these, the law against defrauding does not apply. To trafficking with enslaved people, bills of indebtedness, immovable property, and what belongs to the temple. Rabbi Judah says, the law against defrauding does not apply when a man sells a scroll of law, that is a Sefer Torah, or cattle, or pearls. But they said to him, they have accepted, not save these. Just as the law against defrauding applies to buying and selling, so does it apply to spoken words. A man may not say, how much is this thing, if he does not wish to buy it. If a man had repented, they may not say to him, remember your former deeds. If a man was descended from proselytes, they may not say to him, Remember the deeds of your fathers, for it is written, And a stranger you shall not wrong, nor shall you oppress him. And oppress him is tonu oto. The last Mishnah has nothing directly to do with our text. I read it, though, since it points to the fact that this law, even as it changed from biblical law to rabbinic law, retained its basic essence as a moral law. So, to summarize, according to the Mishnah, ona'ah, or defrauding, is charging more than a sixth above the value of an object, or paying more than a sixth below the value of an object. Therefore, both buyer and seller are obligated and accountable under the laws of ona'ah. There's another important detail, which is not in these Mishnayot, but is found elsewhere, and will be relevant to our sugya. If the fraud was up to a sixth, the seller must return the money. If more than a sixth, then the deal is canceled. Finally, there are exceptions to the law of defrauding. There is no legal defrauding when selling or buying enslaved people, contracts, land, and sanctified items. The reasons for this are spelled out in the Midrash, the Sephardi Leviticus, and then quoted in the Bavli, the commentary to the Bavli's commentary to Mishnah Bava Mitziah. The specific reasons for the exceptions are not relevant to our sugya, just suffice it to say that they are midrashic and not logical, not a distinction I would normally spend too much time buttressing. What is relevant to our sugya is that Rabbi Yehuda disagrees and claims that these three are not the only exceptions. Rather, he asserts that selling a Torah scroll, a domestic animal like a cow or a jewel, is not subject to the laws of defrauding. The anonymous plural voice of the Greek chorus of the Mishnah all tell Rabbi Yehuda that, nah, the only exceptions are the original three. So with that, we can return to our Sugya Bababacha 78a, actually the last line of 77b, in the layout published and popularized by the widow and brothers Ram in Vilna, though these 150 years ago. We have to back up a bit to recall that last week we discussed the Mishnah on 77b, which stated that if one sold a yoke, they did not sell the animals that would be yoked together. Rabbi Yehuda averred that the, the amount of the payment would serve as a proof to what was intended in the sale or purchase. If what was paid was far greater than the price of a yoke alone, then obviously the animals were intended for purchase too. The sages disagreed, saying that Ein hadamim ra'ya, the price was not proof. Okay, now we start the last line of 77b. The e Ein hadamim ra'ya lehavei bitul mekach. 
if the price paid is not proof to what was purchased or sold, and there should be an invalidation to the sale. That is to say, according to sages, if the exorbitant price paid for, let's say the yoke, is not an indicator that actually the animals were also purchased, then at least we should say that the sale itself is canceled, since the excessive price is way more than a sixth, and therefore falls under the laws of Onah, which is more than a sixth, at which point the sale is canceled and the money is returned. So the Stam then asks, And if you say the sages do not hold that there is a provision for canceling a sale when the price is exorbitant. Okay, there's another version of this question of the Stam in the trusted manuscripts. And if you say that in this type of situation, sages reason that there is no defrauding. This second version is more to the point, but ultimately the point is similar. That is, perhaps you want to evade the question of invalidating the sale, since the exorbitant price is not the type of defrauding that would bring invalidation, by saying that sages just don't have the concept of invalidation. This is a question which is more of a rhetorical question, which is set up to be dismissed, as it is in the next move of the Gemara. Vahatanan, we introduce a Mishnah, does not say in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Amocher Sefer Torah Behema Omar Galit, Ein Lehem Ona'a. Amru lo, lo amru, ela et elu. And that's for the mission above Metziah, chapter 4, 9, that we quoted above. Rabbi Huda says, the law against defrauding does not apply when a man sells a scroll of the law, or cattle, or pearls. But they said to him, they have accepted, not save these. The Stam cites the Mishnah from above Metziah that we discussed earlier, the Mishnah which lists the exceptions to the defrauding law. This Mishnah, while listing four exceptions, narrows the exceptions to only those by way of dismissing Rabbi Huda's attempt to enlarge the list. The Mishnah simply states, the only exceptions were those listed above, that is, enslaved people, estates, sanctified objects, and bills of indebtedness. The obvious implication here is that sages must say that there is defrauding, and therefore in some cases, or in this case, the invalidation of the sale. My ein damim raya bitul mekach. So the Stam answers, what is the meaning of the phrase ein damim raya, that is, the price paid is no indicator? It is that the sale is invalidated. I'm reading here with the better manuscripts, which also finish this sugya in a clearer and different way than the printed editions. Or you might say that what the sages said here, that ena damim raya, that is, the price paid is no indicator, that is, when there is no mistake, then there is no invalidation of the sale. However, when the buyer, or for that matter, the seller, mistakenly thought that this yoke was worth the exorbitant price, in that case, the sale is invalidated because it is a mekach a sale based on a mistaken assumption. Okay, that's that. We move on to the next Mishnah now. One who sells their donkey, they have not thus sold the accessories or tack or equipment for the donkey. Nachum Hamadi Omer, Machar et Kelav, Nachum Hamadi, or Nachum the Midite, says it is assumed that he also sold the equipment. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Pa'amim Mechurin, Pa'amim Einan Mechurin. Rabbi Yehuda says sometimes the equipment is assumed sold with the donkey and sometimes it is not. Ketzad, Hayal Chamor Lefanav, how so? If the donkey was present and its tack was on it, that is a saddle or saddlebags, and the buyer said, sell me your donkey, behold, the tack was also sold. 
If, however, the buyer said, is this your donkey? And if so, will you sell it to me? Then the equipment is not sold. This is the way that the Rashbam reads this line, based on the discussion further on in the sugya. A second question that needs to be sorted out is the relationship of Rabbi Yehuda to Nachum and the first opinion, that is, sages. Is Yehuda agreeing with either Nachum or sages, at least partially? Or is he carving out a third path independent of both of them? So, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We move to the Gemara. Amar Ula. Machloket besak vidiskia v'chumani. So Ula says the dispute between sages and Nachum is only concerning a pack, a saddlebag, or a humani, which we will find out later is a seat for a woman. Well, not exactly a saddle, not exactly a sidecar but on a donkey, and for a woman, maybe a mattress. As an aside, Romer Halevi Abulafi, the 12th or 13th century Spanish commentator, correctly notes that disikia is from the Greek meaning two packs, duo second. Go Yad Ramah! Ditanakama savar stam chamor lerchovkai, vinachamamadi savar stam chamor lemasuikai. For sages' reason, that a donkey's intended use is for riding, and Nachum argues that, in general, a donkey is used as a pack animal. However, and this continues Ula's statement after the editorial interjection, the saddle, the saddle cloth, the cinch or cloth which holds the saddle under the donkey's belly, both Nachum and sages agree that they are sold. Meitve. The Stam challenges Ula by introducing a Tanitic text. We only know this text from here. That is, it is not in the Tosefta or Mishnah. Chamor v'chelav ani if one says, I am selling you the donkey and all its equipment, he has with this sold the saddle, the saddlecloth, the cinch, and the belly strap which holds the saddle. However, he has not sold the pack, nor the saddlebag, nor the mattress, nor the seat for a woman. If the seller says, the donkey and all that is upon it, behold, they are all sold. Tama damarle chamor v'kelav, hu dekani ukaf umirdat, halo amarle hachi lo. So the stam asks, the reason that the riding equipment is sold at all is because the seller said chamor v'kelav, the donkey and its equipment. However, had he not said that, the equipment would not have been included in the sale. This contradicts what Ula just said, that everybody would agree that the riding equipment are sold in any event, even if he has not said the donkey and its equipment. The Stam answer is that, in fact, if he had not said chamor v'kelav, that is, if he had not added an its tack to the statement, I am selling you the donkey, the saddle and saddlecloth would still have been sold. And it further teaches that even though he had said the donkey and its tack, still the pack and saddlebags and women's mattress are not bought. I just explained this piece according to the text in the Vilna edition, which is the way that the Rashbam has it also. The manuscripts show many variants of this text. The Yad Ramaz text does not present this Braita with a metive, that is, as a challenge that must be answered, but rather a vahaditanya, and this that a Braita teaches, meaning that this is kind of a friendly amendment. 
In any event, the bottom line is pretty similar in that all agree that there is a sharp distinction drawn between riding tack and pack equipment. When donkey and tack is named as being sold, that indicates riding equipment but not pack equipment. This is the upshot of Ula's intervention, to identify and strengthen this distinction. We conclude at present from this that even if he doesn't say chamor v'chelav, all the riding accessories are sold. And even if he does say chamor v'chelav, all the pack accessories are not sold. My humani, Amar Papa Bar Shmuel, Merkavta Dinashri. So now the Stam finds it necessary to finally define what a humani is. Statement attributed to Rav Papa Bar Shmuel defines it as a woman's place of riding, perhaps saddle, perhaps sidecar, perhaps mattress. Okay, so now we dive deeper. Ibai lahu, ba'odan alav machloket. Aval b'she'enan alav modelahu nachum amadi. The type of question that is now raised is an ibai lahu, that is, literally, he asked them. However, this is a specific type of question, a question which takes the information that we all just agreed upon and pushes it one step further. So here's the question. Is it that when the equipment is still on the donkey, that there is a dispute between sages and Nachum? However, when the equipment is no longer on the donkey, Nachum agrees with sages that the equipment is not sold together with the donkey? O Dilma, v'she'inan alav machloket, abal ba'odan alav modulei rabbanan l'nachum. Or perhaps the dispute is in a case where the equipment is not on the donkey. However, when the equipment is still on the donkey, at the time of the sale, Sages agree with Nachum that the equipment is sold. Our printed editions and several of the manuscripts now immediately move into a Tashma, bringing a text to try to solve the dilemma. However, some of the better manuscripts in the Yad Ramah and the Tosafists have another line. Following the dilemma, the Gemara reads, O Dilma bein bezeh, o bein bezeh Or perhaps whether the equipment is on the donkey or whether the equipment is not on the donkey, it is still a dispute. That is, they don't answer, as the Yaramah says, they don't answer or solve or resolve the ba'ayat, the question that was just raised. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. So the Stam introduces a new text, which is actually the last line of the text we just looked at, in order to solve this dilemma. Tashma, come in here. Ubizman she'amar lo hu kulan When the seller says to him, the donkey and all that is on it, Behold, it is all sold. So the Stam is now going to deliberate about who is the author of this statement, or more to the point, who, Nachum or Sages, could agree with this statement. E Amrit Bishlama Ba'odan Alav Machloket Hamani Rabbanani. If you agree with the side of the dilemma that situates the dispute between Nachum and Sages when the equipment is still on the donkey, then the statement obviously reflects the opinion of Sages, since Sages are of the opinion that if you don't say the donkey and all that is on it, but rather just say, the donkey, the pack equipment is not sold. Then if the sailor does say the donkey and all that is on it, the pack equipment is obviously sold. While Nachum would still say that if the pack equipment was on the donkey, it is sold with the donkey, because Nachum holds that a donkey is essentially a pack and not only a riding animal. Ella, e amret b'she'ein odan alav machloket, avol be'odan alav divreha kolmachurin ha'mani. However, if you choose the second horn of the dilemma, wherein the dispute is only when the, dis- the equipment is no longer on the donkey, however, when the equipment is still on the donkey, both sages and Nachum agree that everything is sold, whose opinion then is reflected in this statement? It cannot be either sages or Nachum, because both of them agree that when the equipment is on the donkey, even if neither the seller nor the buyer explicitly say the donkey and all its equipment, it is still sold. The Gemara then answers. 
בזמן שאמר לו, הוא וכל מה שראוי להיות עליו. No, we assert that the dispute is when the pack equipment is not on the donkey. And this statement accords with Sage's view, since we are now saying that the statement actually should be read, the donkey and all that is appropriate for it or belongs to it. In that case, Sages would agree that the donkey and all its equipment, even the pack equipment, is sold. The Stam returns us to the third part of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda's statement introduced with a Tashma. Come in here. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Pamim Mechurin, Pamim Sheinan Mechurin. Rabbi Yehuda says, sometimes they, that is the equipment, is sold together with the donkey, and sometimes it is not sold together with the donkey. My love, Amai Dekama Tanakama Kai Rabbi Yehuda. The Stam asked the questions on everybody's mind. Is it not so that Rabbi Yehuda's statement is a direct response to or comment upon Sage's statement? That is, Sage has said that the equipment is not sold with the donkey, and Rabbi Yehuda says that sometimes it is and sometimes it is not. This question itself is a bit quizzical, since if Rabbi Yehuda's statement is in direct response to Sage's statement, might it not have been better written right after Sage's, not after Nachum's statement? And in fact, some of the manuscripts in both Rabbeinu Gershom and the Yad Ramah have a version of the Gemara which reads, My love, Rabbi Yehuda tamei de Nachum hamadi kamafaresh. That is, is it not so that Rabbi Yehuda is explaining the reason of Nachum? So that whereas Nachum asserts that the equipment is sold with the donkey, Rabbi Yehuda interjects that sometimes it is and sometimes it is not. Rabbi Yehuda disagrees, or perhaps just clarifies according to the Tosafis, that the equipment is only sold when the buyer says, Hamar Chazeh, this donkey of yours. However, when the buyer says, Hamar Chahu, which is perhaps a question, is this your donkey which I may buy, then the equipment is not sold. La. Rabbi Yehuda miltachriti kamar. No, replies the Stam. Rabbi Yehuda is saying something different from the sages, and also different from Nachum. So, for example, if the dispute between sages and Nachum was in a case where the equipment was on the donkey, and sages say that the equipment is not sold, while Nachum says it is, Rabbi Yehuda says that sometimes it is, and sometimes it is not. This week's podcast is brought to you by Chunky Water. Are you tired of the binary choice still or sparkling water? Can you believe we are still there in the 21st century? Well, binary choice no longer. Now you can say, I'll have chunky water, please. With our maybe, possibly, could be patented process, we lower the temperature of water to well below 32 degrees in a special machine called a freezer. We then carefully cut the water into chunks, and then voila, we are able to give you perfect chunky water every time. So the next time someone asks, say, chunky water, please. Ravina is going to introduce the next text that we examine in order to determine if there is a consistent understanding of equipment together with the thing that is sold or not. So Ravina, a later Amora, a student of Rabba's in his youth, uses the Tashma coming here introduction and speaking with his contemporary Ravashi. Amalei Ravina the Ravashi, Tashma. Ravina said to Ravashi, come in here. This text should be familiar to y'all who have been listening to the podcast consistently since it is in last week's Daf. And if you haven't been listening consistently, what's the matter with you? You should seriously examine your life choices. But anyway, Machar takaron, lamachar et pradot. If one sold a wagon, the sale does not include the animals which pull the wagon. Vitani Rav Tachlifa Bar Marava Kamed and Rav Tachlifa Bar Marava, that is a Westerner, somewhat from the land of Israel, recited a similar tradition to Rabbi Abahu. Machar et Karon, Machar et Pradot. If one sells the wagon, one has sold the animals. So this version of the Mishnah is the opposite of ours in its outcome. Vi'amarle Vaha Anan Lamachar Tzanan. Rabbi Abahu replied, "Do we not teach that text did not sell?" Vi'amarle Ismaya. 
So Rav Tachlifa says to Rabbi Abba, his teacher, shall I erase that statement or that text, which essentially means do I forget the text, since the setting is actually an oral setting. Rabbi Abba replied, no, don't erase that from your memory. Rather, interpret your version that it applies to a case where the animals are attached in some manner to the wagon. As an aside, some of the medievals, most notably Maimonides, understand pradot not to mean animals, but rather some sort of beams. And then the rest of the conversation is similar in terms of attached to the wagon or not attached to the wagon. Ravina now returns to his discussion with Ravashi and averse, Michlal Matznitin b'sha'ein adukimbo. Rabbi Abba's statement that Rav Tachlifa's version should be understood as referring to a case where the animals were attached to the wagon implies that the Mishnah, which says that the animals are not sold with the wagon, previous Mishnah in our chapter, is referring to a case in which the animals are not attached to the wagon. And since that Mishnah, which character, which is characterized here as the beginning, the Reisha of our Mishnah, then our Mishnah should similarly be understood as referring to a case where the donkey's equipment is not on the donkey. Adarabah! Amoratia, so Rav Asher replies, the exact opposite is true. Read the actual beginning of the chapter of below Etantiki. The first Mishnah regarding selling a ship says that when one sells a ship, he does not sell either the enslaved people nor the Antiki. Antiki, and we, that is the Stam there, say, what are Antiki? Papa Iska de Begava. Rav Papa says the commodities in the barrels on the boat. And so the implication from the beginning of the chapter is that we are talking about a case where the equipment, etc., is still on the ship. So we should extend this to our Mishnah to say that the equipment is still on the donkey. Rather, says Ravashi, each Tana, that is, each Mishnah teaching a different law, had different assumptions and understandings about their specific law. It's not appropriate to imply from one to the other. There are now in the printed edition Simanim, that is an acronym, which is a mnemonic device for the next part of the sugya. These devices are very late and are not in the most of the manuscripts, and we're just going to skip over them just like that. However, the Gemara itself and the person of Abayat actually basically reviews the laws of what is sold with what of the last chapter and a half up till now in order to derive a general principle from the disparate laws. Amar Abayat, Reb Leza, Reb Shuman Gamliel, Reb Meir, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Natan, Sumchus, or Simachus, and Nachum Namadi all hold that when a person sells something, that person sells all the accessories together with the item. Abaya, or perhaps the Stam, then goes through the list. In a Mishnah above, Mishnah 4 or 5, Rabbi Eliezer says, one who sells a wine or olive press sells the beam which is used to press the stone down on the fruit together with the press. How do we know that Rabbi Shimon ben is also part of this? Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, in Mishnah 4 7, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, concerning one who sells a city, which is something like a neighborhood or a village, the seller includes the santer, who is either a clerk whose job it is to know the boundaries of the fields in the city, or a watch person. Rabbi Meir Ditanya, and Rabbi Meir, we know from a brighta. Rabbi Meir Omer, Macharta Kerem, Macharta Shemishay Kerem. For Rabbi Meir, we have a brighta which is found on 65b and also the Tosefta Bababatra 3.6 in the name of Abba Shaul. Here, Rabbi Meir is quoted as saying, if one sells a vineyard, they sell the accessories to the vineyard.
Rabbi Natan Vesumchus Bitzit Vedugit. Returning to the first mission in our chapter concerning buying a boat, the Talmud cites two teachings in the names of the Palestinian Tanaim, Rabbi Natan and Sumchus, which is probably the Greek name Simicus, who both say that when one sells a boat, the sale includes different types of small boats that are attached to the larger boat. Nachum Hamadi, Had Amran, and finally a very own Nachum who includes the tack with a donkey. And thus, we have finished one Talmudic run through the Mishnah. However, we are not done with the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Pa'amim Mechurin, citing the final lines of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda says, sometimes they are sold and sometimes not. The comment is on the following lines in the Mishnah, which expound upon Rabbi Yehuda's statement. What difference is there between saying this donkey and saying, is it your donkey? Rabbah said, this donkey means that the buyer knew that the donkey belonged to the seller. Therefore, when he used the specifying word zu, this, he did that to include the donkey's tack. Whereas he is your donkey, implies that the buyer does not know that the donkey belongs to the seller, and he is actually saying this. Is this your donkey that you might sell it to me? And here we are finished with the Gemara on the Mishnah and on to the next Mishnah. One who sells a donkey sells the foal. One who sells a cow does not sell the calf. One who sells a, the place that you hold the compost, as it were, also sells the compost with it. One who sells a, uh, a well also sells the, the water in the well or the cistern. One who sells the beehive sells also the bees. One who sells a dove coat also sells the doves. And the Gemara comments. Hey, dummy, what's this talking about? So if you're saying that the principle, at least the first two, is that if you sell an animal, you sell its offspring, so then that should be the case also with the cow and its and its calf. And if you're going to say that he said when he says to him, he ubna, the principle is that it doesn't mean the animal and its offspring. So even a donkey should not include its offspring. So in other words, you have a contradiction between the first two halachot here. Amar of Papa, Rav Papa says that we're talking about a case where, where he says a a nursing donkey and a nursing cow. I am selling to you. So okay, a cow. It makes sense because you could say that he needs the cow for its milk. But with a donkey, why would he say that? Why would he say that the donkey is nursing? So the implication is that you're selling, that he wants to sell the donkey and the foal. Because otherwise, why would he mention the fact that the donkey is nursing? And why is a donkey's foal called a siach? Because it follows after sichana'a, which is kind of pleasant talk. In other words, you don't need, for a young donkey, you don't need to whip it or whack it. 
you just have to call it, and it comes. The next part of the sugi is basically midrashan, two verses from Numbers, and then a third verse, which we'll pick up next week. So the verses are from twenty-one Numbers twenty-one twenty-seven. Therefore, do the rhapsodes say, "Come to Cheshbon, let it stand built. May the city of Sichon be unshaken." This is Robert Alter's translation. And the next verse twenty-eight. For the fire has come out from Cheshbon, flame from the town of Sichon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the notables of Arnon's high places. So this will take us to the end of this week's daf, more or less. The next week we will pick up with the next verse, or actually the Midrash skips a verse. Anyway, here we go. Amar Shmuel What is it that the verse says, or why is it that the verse says, Therefore the rhapsodes say using the word Moshlim as a Moshel, Moshel Mashal, one who rhapsodizes or, or, or tells parables. HaMoshlim, Elu HaMoshlim B'Yitzram. So the Midrash says, no, don't read it that way. Read it, the Moshlim are those who conquer their desires, their evil intent. Mosh, from the word Moshel, to rule, to rule over their Yitzram. Bol Cheshbon, which in, in context reads... Let it stand built. And the, the, the Midrashist says, Let us come and make an accounting of the account for the accounting of the world. And what does that mean? The loss of a mitzvah, of doing mitzvah, as opposed to the reward, and the reward of doing a sin as opposed to its loss, meaning the cost-benefit of doing mitzvot or doing sins. So let it stand built um, and unshaken. So rather say that if you do this, you, as if it is in second person singular, you will be built up, fortified, strengthened in this world, and you will be ready for the next world. If, if a person makes themselves as this donkey, which goes after, which follows pleasant talk, what does it say right afterwards? That is in the next verse. A fire will come out from those who make this accounting and eat or consume those who don't do the accounting. So in other words, the those who do the mitzvot, who recognize what the cost benefit is of doing mitzvot and go out on the mitzvot side. So a fire will come out and they will they will prevail over those who don't do it. And flame from the town of Sichon, that's the contextual meaning. Mikiryat Sadikim Shinikru Sichin from the the quarters of the righteous who are called Sichin, as in bushes. Ar Moab, it consumed the town of Ar in Moab. This is one who, who follows his inclination, like this donkey who walks after pleasant talk. Ba'alei Bamot Arnan, Arnon, um, those who, the notables of Arnon's high places, 
Elu Gaseruach. These are the those the haughty ones. As it is said, any person who has haughtiness falls into Gehinom, into hell. Okay, so what happens here is that this these two verses, Rafarius come from Khajma and Flame from the town of Sichon consumed Arab Moab, the notables of Arnon's high places. And the second verse, this will take us, and the, and the first verse, sorry, it's the other way around. Therefore, do the Rapsodes say, come to Cheshbon, let it stand built. May the city of Sichon be unshaken, for the fire has come from out from Cheshbon, flame from the town of Sichon, it consumed Arav Moab, the notables of Arnon's high places. This part of this song in Numbers, which goes on a bit, is actually in the artistic hands of of Chazal, of Rabbi Yochanan, the Midrashis, turned into a tale about those who conquer their desires and are therefore righteous will prevail over those who do not conquer uh, their desires and are therefore sinners who will end up, and the righteous will end up in the world to come, and the sinners will end up in hell. Pretty straightforward, Nimshal, pretty straightforward point of this little Midrash, but very artfully done by reading these phrases midrashically. And thus we come to the end of this week's daf. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to thank, as always, my wonderful, amazing Chavruta Charlotte Fun Robert, my amazing producer, Ellie Unger Sargon. Please check out his podcast, Four Cubits with Jeff Humreich. And as always, deep gratitude to the communications department of Daf Shui. Shachar Cohen Hodos, the creator of the beautiful Daf Shui logo. It's been a pleasure to have you with me. I hope it was as much a pleasure for you to be here. Please come again next week and bring a friend. You can always be in touch with me at thewidowandbrothers at gmail.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, be well. <laughs>